This week's podcast partner is Nuffield Australia. Applications for the 2025 program close on Friday the 31st of May. It's only a couple of weeks away. If you're looking to select a research topic that will be of use to you, your business, community and industry, and join a global alumni of more than 2,000 people while travelling the world to research that topic, apply for a Nuffield scholarship. Find out more at nuffield.com.au. And I think as a, as a kid that doesn't, that chooses not to go home, there's a, you're sort of backing yourself to make it in a lot of ways outside in the big wide world. And so, you know, there's that pressure of there's no longer this asset behind you that you can rely on for, for growth. You, you, you're very much on your own. What you age you get and what, what you bring in at the end of the day is, is what's there for your family in, in, in years to come. This episode of the Humans of Agriculture podcast was recorded on Gadigal People's Country of the Eora Nation, and I'd like to extend my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And I'd like to extend those respects to the traditional owners of the country wherever you may be listening to the podcast. LAWD came on early last year to support the Humans of Agriculture podcast, and we are so thankful for their support. LAWD are the specialists in agribusiness valuations and transactions, and they've certainly been keeping busy over the last 12 months with everything that's happening in the Australian rural property market. Jump over to their website, lawd.com.au, to check out their listings. Well, good day and welcome back to another episode of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. As always, I'm your host, Ollie Laleve, and it's a pleasure to be joining you all again. This week, we're heading back out to Western New South Wales and catching up with James Cleaver. He's the first one to admit that his hometown of Ningen, which is famous for the Big Bogan, is his favourite place in the world. But for James, a career on the land wasn't what he had in mind. Growing up through the millennium drought and living in a small two-bedroom cottage with his parents and three siblings, he knew country life without romanticising it. James talks about what it's like to go through succession, but making up his own mind the decision to step away from the farm and leave it up to his other siblings to take on the property that his family have been farming for generations. James talks about what it's like to find his dream job, twice over in fact, first as a lawyer and later as a banker. He takes a pretty honest and down-to-earth approach about setting up his expectations and finding out what you're really passionate about. James has always been about his community and today he finds himself helping kids living in isolated areas to help give them the best opportunities they can for their future. James is an RAS Rural Achiever and RAS Rural Ambassador from 2021. I hope you guys enjoy this chat. Welcome to the Humans of Ag podcast, James. Thank you for having me. How exciting. Mate, I just want to start off. Whereabouts in the world are you joining us from? I'm going from coming to you from Dubbo today, uh, middle of western New South Wales. Awesome. You've been there for a while? I have. I have. Well, I've, I've been here since 2016, but Ningen's home for me originally. So um, two hours further west of here along the Stratus Highway in what feels like the world sometimes. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you get to God's country and sort of centre of New South Wales. So, yeah, great spot. Um, yeah, pretty proud of it coming from there too. The um the two hour commute back there. Do you do it often or not a oh, whole lot? 
yeah, much to my wife's dismay at the moment. Uh, I, I think I've calculated that out of the 50 weekends that we've had this year, I've done about 30 at home. Uh, so a bit of fun. Um, I, I get, get to go out and place a fair bit, uh, spend time, you know, working with the family, but also get to do my favourite pastime ever of playing rugby with the, the famous Bogan Bulls out there. So, yeah, that's every every Thursday night I try to get out there and play and then, uh, yeah, I get out there and train. And then, yeah, every Saturday we travel around sort of the Western Plains giving it our best. So, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a, I don't know, I really enjoy going out there and I probably need to curb it a little bit, but it won't stop me for a little bit longer. Do you play alongside your brother? Yeah, I do. So um, with a neck like this, I'm the tight head prop and my little brother's the hooker. Yeah, we've, right, eh? We've got this PGM bloke that plays loose head prop, but we claim him as a brother too because he's, yeah, he's about 130 kilos. And so, you know, he can fit right into the family. <laughs> there you go. Can, tell me a little bit, you, you mentioned the Bogan Bulls, but there's also a big, big icon um, within Ningen itself. Quite exciting, actually. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit controversial. Um, well, and, people don't like that Ningen's the home of the big Bogan. Well, look, I, I think it's grown on a lot of people. Um, yeah, originally when it first started out, I think everyone thought, oh, you know, people are, people are laughing at us and the joke's on us sort of thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, all these tourists started pulling through. There's a coffee shop next door. And it started making absolute killing, and people are all getting their photos, and they, you know, they stop off and they, they have a look through town, and they've got a they've got a Cobb and Co rest stop there as well, and I don't know, it, it's it's really worked. So I, I, I wasn't I wasn't a believer beforehand in the big bogan, but I'm a I'm a believer in it now. Yeah, it's uh, it's really taken off. And sure, I actually don't even know. There was a um, there was a poll a little while ago on Twitter, and it was what's the best big something in Australia, and I actually don't know if. The big bogan featured, so maybe that I, I think it actually won it. Um, yeah, and won it with outright um, destroyed. <laughs> I don't know, maybe it came second, a big prawn or something in Melbourne, but yeah, not yeah, nothing compares. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a little bit more about being a farm kid and growing up out in yeah, the, the western New South Wales. Yeah, I don't know, it, it's uh. It's a, it's a place that sometimes gets written off a little bit. And I think sometimes in Western New South Wales, you know, a lot of people say, you know, don't go, don't go Western Dubbo, don't go Western Narromine, don't go Western Warren. And it sort of stops there in most cases. And so, you know, Ningen onwards, we, we sometimes get written off. But I don't know, I couldn't, I, and it's all, it's all a bit sort of fairy tale stuff now, a bit nostalgic. But I really, I loved it, um, that lifestyle of being on the place. Uh, learning about, you know, how to we, – we always got a fair bit of um, brains when we were kids on, on how we did stuff and what we did while we were working. And I don't know, so uh, I think you learn a lot in doing that. And, uh, yeah, it gave us a lot of a lot of skills that you've, I've taken on in life. But at the same time, it's just good fun, you know. Your you, you next-door next, neighbour is just down the road. You can ride your motorbike across there or the – or the little Suzuki and the shooting buggy. And yeah, it, it, could you do that anywhere else in the world? Um, there's, there's, there's just nothing like that. So um, yeah, really, really good memories. And in, in what I think would people would say was a pretty, like not a great time in the way of the millennium drought was a lot of our, our childhood then, then as well. So I remember, you know, 
you'd be going into the dogs of the night time and you'd have these massive dust storms roll in and we'd have to, um, yeah, you'd have to wear goggles just to get the sand out of your eyes. It was that sort of heavy. So it's just, yeah, it's it's not always it's not always perfect out there, but I wouldn't change it for the world. It's interesting, isn't it? Like it's we can paint rural Australia and and farming in such a romantic kind of light, but the, despite all that, you're kind of saying there were some real hardships, but you wouldn't have changed a thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We lived in this this tiny little two bedroom cottage, and um, yeah, there was there was well, one of four kids, so we we all created this tiny little room. It could have been no joke, three by three sort of thing. And so there was me and the me and the sister, the big sister, in the bunk beds, and then uh, in an L shape, my little brother and and my, my sister, sort of one off, one up from a cot sort of thing. So yeah, it, it's I don't know. A good way to get to know each other pretty quickly, but also, and we, we fought like cats and dogs at times. But I don't know, it's yeah, it's cool, it's really cool. And how long did you guys live like that for? Into uh, teenage years or not? Yeah, most of it. So, up until about two, the I was born in 91 and up to about 2003. So, most of my most of my childhood, and then, uh, yeah, mum and dad they'd obviously been saving up their pennies and, and we got to build a house, but uh, yeah, it was it was you know. It was a cool, cool way of living for a while, and then all of a sudden we had all this space, and yeah, didn't know ourselves. So yeah, very different. Absolutely. Tell me a little bit more about the family farm. Yeah, so we've got. Um, or what, I suppose what we do is is we're a pretty simple operation. We we grow fat lambs out there. Um, we've got heaps of sheep studs around us. So whether on the on the um, black soil plains, sort of west of uh, west of Warren, and uh, so you've got your marine bones, your colanes, your um, butterbone stud parks. They're all these big names in the merino world. And what happens is eventually they, you know, all start to turn over their, their older use um, after a period of time. And so we like to sort of snap them up at around five to six years old. And we, um, yeah, we then put a, a, a bull ester ram over the top of them. And, and we, we get our, our fat lambs that, you know, that have become pretty popular lately. So, um yeah, it's a bit of a we're, – we're a system based off another system, but it's a it's a nice sort of flexible way of doing things. We we can manage our numbers on the conditions as well, which, you know, Ningen varies a fair bit. It's sort of – it can increase we, – we can have beautiful feed and it's unstoppable, but can also, you know, you can have – it can look like a, uh, yeah, a bare floor at the same time and a moon landscape and, and you can't run things. So, um, yeah, that flexibility is pretty good. But I don't know. Besides that, we've we've got a bit of everything. We we, we do a bit of steer trading. We 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 have some wheat. We we do some. We even we do some canola. We've got another little block at Aramine, and uh, and yeah, even try a hand at cotton in the summer sometimes. So it's all you know, whatever's going at the time and, and whatever the conditions allow. And how's it all going for you guys at the moment? Do you have cotton in this year? We we do. Yeah, and it's going really really well. They're just um, getting row closure as we speak. So. They're, they're really happy about that. And, yeah, I, I don't know, from a season perspective, I, I, I was talking to a mate and I only talk to him sort of once every year. And, you know, we're, we're old, old friends. And he said, oh, how, how's it looking this year? And I said, unbelievable, best year ever. And he sort of said to me, that's exactly what you said last year. But honestly, the, the last two years for, for our area, just well, we've had records amount of rainfall um, at the perfect times in a lot of cases. And... Uh, yeah, that we, I've never seen better. My dad's never seen better. And I, I don't know if it's, you know, cropping styles have changed and, um, you know, but I, it, it, it is just unbelievable what, what the land's doing at the moment. So, 
pretty stark contrast to, to what it was doing before that. Uh, yeah. No wonder you're getting out there like at least every second weekend. You want to keep keep an eye on things. <laughs> After three years of drought work, yeah, I just got to get out there and soak it up. So that's the other part. Just you know, enjoy it while it lasts. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> was um was a career in agriculture always of interest? But like growing up there, did you want to be a farmer and head off into the ag world, or what were you thinking? Oh, we always got told, and again, it might have been part of growing up in the millennium drought that we had to go away and get a degree or, or get a trade if we were ever going to come back to the farm. And I think at that stage in time, mum and dad were always sort of pushing us to, to go away and, and, and not come back. They would have been happy if we if we were successful outside of agriculture. Um, I think as time's gone on and life's gone on, uh, that, that tone's changed a fair bit. And I think that they, they want more and more help and they, they want us more and more involved. But, yeah, it was very much you know, go away, try something, give that a, give that a whirl. And um, I, I probably took that on board a fair bit. I think as a kid, you're pretty impressionable. And so I thought, you know, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll try my hand. I thought I'd be a, a, a lawyer or a banker. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've ended up where I am sort of tied into the agriculture, but in, in a way different way and, and didn't see, I said, coming where, where I've ended up, I suppose. Do you, do you think on that, and I'll, I'll we'll jump on and talk about your career a little bit more, but do you feel, did you feel any pressure or you were literally taking what your parents were saying as in, yeah, go off and, and find kind of a, a different income, a different life, kind of fairly literally? I, I think there's a, there's a there, I don't think your parents mean to at the time. I don't even think they know that they're doing it, but I think as a kid, yeah, you do. You feel that pressure and you go, oh, I'm, I'm going to do my bit for the family and I'm going to, you know, if I'm, if I'm taking responsibility for myself, then then someone else doesn't doesn't need to. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like there is, but yeah, at the same time, I, I I didn't. Yeah, I've always felt welcomed back, and I think that's the really nice thing about about family farms. That uh, yeah, it, it, no matter you know, even if, even in the middle of the drought, they yeah, they were more than happy to have us there, and that might be because they were trying to hand feed with, with sheep, and they were pretty sick of that at the time. But, yeah. This week's podcast sponsor are our friends over at Boarding Schools Expo. Amanda and her team for more than 20 years have been bringing boarding schools closer to the places that people call home. Over 15,000 children have met their future boarding school at one of their events. At the end of June, they're hosting an event in Wagga. So if you're keen or know someone who might, head to their website, boardingexpo.com.au to find out more. Just looking for an extra couple of labour units. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so you, you, making that decision not to return, what were you, you went off, studied law, became a lawyer. What was yeah, kind of driving that decision making and those aspirations? Yeah, well, and so the decision not to actually return home to the farm for good is probably a very, very recent one, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. it, I mean, in the last year or so, um, I, I I went away. Yeah, had a, had a great time at university. Started out as a lawyer. I thought that was pretty whiz bang until I learned that um, yeah, lawyers' wages weren't that fantastic. Uh, graduate graduate lawyers, you know, through without you know grasping at straws and sounding like I'm chasing the money, it was you know we're talking forty five grand a year, um, and yeah, we're talking sales and cordial on the weekends when you run out and you're waiting run out of money and waiting for your next paycheck. So it was um, yeah, it was a bit of a, a bit of a blow to the to the esteem at the time. And I remember I was really, really good mates with um, the partner at the business. And I said to him, 
look, I'm, I'm going to go home in a, in, a, in a few years' time. I've really, I've got to make some hay while the sun shines, um, and I've, I've got to get some some money. In. And uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to quit, and I'm going to give this this government job a go. And you know, government's always a, a bit of a high payer around the places, and and so that was the genuine reason why I moved across to where I did. It wasn't, you know, I wanted to get across to ag, and I I, I thought that it would be a really good place to be, but. Um, yeah, romanticism aside, it was completely down to money to start with. Yeah. Um, but when I got there, yeah, I just loved it. I just all of a sudden the the sky opened up in so many opportunities. Um, people were saying, "Oh, you can do this, you can do that." There's all these training courses. Um, have a go at acting in this role. Or give this a whirl. Um, and I, I, it might have been just at the time the opportunities arose because it, we like. And I, I did my interview and we, we sort of weren't saying we were in drought at that stage from a, from a government point of view. Um, by the time I started up, it was, it was plastered all over the papers and every news station and uh, newspaper and uh, social media giant without you trying to get a story about you know, the drought and, and what's going on. So, it, yeah, people, people were looking for, for someone to, to hear from. And I don't know, I sort of got thrust in that, into that a little bit, which I, I'm very thankful for. But, yeah, I don't know. It was an opportunity and, and at the same time, it, yeah, it could have turned out pretty badly as well. Um, what, what was your role there? So I, I, I joined this program called the Rural Resilience Program, which after one or two beers is after you start rolling hours a little bit more. But uh, it, it was pretty much there to uh, support farmers through drought, it, it pretty much come from a, a drought support program uh, from from previous droughts like the Millennium Drought, and then it had to turn into a bit of capacity building on the side, running workshops and that type of thing. In whilst whilst we'd had a few good years, and then you know as soon as as soon as uh, it hit the fan, then they threw us straight back into it and and said, right, we need to get you out there, um, talking to people, finding out what they need, and try to you know shape a bit of policy that's out there. But also just telling them what's available because there was a fair bit of confusion about what was going on. Um, you know, there was a, a lot of hysterics, a lot of people pretty upset and angry, and and, and fair enough in in a lot of ways, um, feeling forgotten in some stages. So, yeah, it, it was just trying to simplify the process a little bit and and give them a a, a friendly face from from locally that, that they could talk to. So, yeah. Did you find? Living through that and having your parents in right in the midst of the drought as well, did you start to take it fairly personally, but also then using that as your driver and start to, yeah, kind of really just increase your involvement and increase your impact? Oh, no. The drama to start with, I just absolutely thrived on it. And I was saying to you earlier before we came on here, um, my motivation working from home at the moment during the middle of COVID is tough. Um, <laughs> I'm finding that difficult at the start of the year. At that stage in time, it was just all guns blazing. You know, phone calls were just, the phone was running hot. We'd get off one phone call and you'd have 10 missed calls sort of thing and you're, you're moving on to the next thing. And it was really nice because you, you felt like you were doing your bit. For, you know, you, beforehand, I was sitting in the solicitor's office and you had all, you're doing old grandma's wills or, you know, writing a commercial lease for, for a bank or something like that. And it, you just didn't feel like you were having a, a great impact. All of a sudden... You, you were you're in the thick of it, and it was very much an, an issue that was out in front of everyone. And you were, yeah, 
you could help out. And I, I really liked that. Um, I, I did um, at times sort of think that, you know, I put people in the same position that I thought my parents would be. And I think that made me really passionate about it. Mm-hmm. And, and so if I'm talking along to a bloke or a, or a, or a lady at an event, I'm thinking, you know, how would I like to leave my parents with, with information? And so I'd load them up and, and do the best I could. But you do, you, you really notice it. And it's not until after the fact how much of their sort of stress and pressure you take on yourself. And, you know, I, I probably didn't believe it at the time. There was a few old blokes that said, oh, just be a bit careful on, on how you do things and how much you wear on your sleeve because, uh, yeah, it can come back and bite you. But, uh, yeah, I, at, the, at the end of it all, um, you know, three years after, I did. I got. I was pretty busted. I was ready for a break, ready for something different. Just because, yeah, you know, it's it it can it can be a bit of a negative atmosphere at times as well. Absolutely, yeah. It sounds like it's it's one of those things that you you're fighting kind of, for, or you're giving them the information, but you're really fighting for them. Did you put yourself in any precarious situations, kind of internally, and I, I guess, yeah, within government, where it's like you feel like that the message from the ground isn't actually getting heard and you start to yeah, really kind of emphasise that passion? It's really interesting. You, you can sometimes feel like you're, you're banging your head against the wall. Um, most of the time I would say, though, when you when you took it up to them and you, and you explained it well and you put a story with it, most of the time they were pretty good and they, and they ran with it. It didn't mean that it didn't get lost in the system up above you further up. But, uh, yeah, I, I did find that you... We, we had a pretty pretty good access to, to leaders and, and ministers uh, further up the line. Um, yeah, it's really interesting, though. It's, I, I always, you know, people always think it's um, polarising and whose side are you on? You're, you're from the government, what would you know? And, and I, I found that hard at times. But in, I don't know, at the end of the day, it's, it's just something that you manage. And I think that people... Especially from in the West, there's there's not too many um, government employees that work in the DPI. There's really there's Changi Research Station and then and then Condo Research Station and that and that's it. Um, and the LLS run around a little bit in in the in the middle. Um, so just being a representative there, you could tell people what was going on and and they were they were desperate to know and, and wanted to know more. So I really yeah, it surprised me that part. I would say. And then you mentioned say so you moved on. After three years there, fairly busted, you you set yourself up. Was this you you'd achieved the I guess the childhood dream of being a lawyer? You mentioned banking at the start. That was the other one. Was that the the next kind of career path for you? Yeah, so I did three years um, with the DPI, loved it, and it pretty much the the drought came to an end. COVID came through. We'd done the bushfires, and so funding was just drying up everywhere. And that's just how government systems work. We the writing was always going to be on the wall. So yep. I had I had this really good mate in town, and uh, I said a, a job came up at, at, at the bank, and I said, "Oh, this was this is originally what I wanted to do, sort of um, out of university." I said, "You know, banking looks looks pretty good to me." And you're talking to people, you're sitting there, you're helping them create wealth, um, and you're talking through conversations with them, helping to see how they how they manage things, um, and looking at their options, and so. It really stood out as something that I wanted to do. And so, yeah, January uh, to 2021, I, I started up at the bank. And, uh, yeah, I would say it's probably the shortest stint as a bank manager someone's ever seen, Ollie. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I, I've actually, I've only just finished up with them sort of end of last year, November. And, uh, 
look, I, I made the call pretty early and pretty quick on on what I what I wanted to do there. Um, I got in there and I, I felt like I wasn't achieving what I wanted to achieve in, in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, in some, in some stages, I thought I was probably sitting on the wrong side of the table. I probably found that actually harder than working in a bank, um, being from a farming background than I than I have worked have working in government from a farming background because. You know those best interests of, of the business are different to what the what the farmer wants, and uh, yeah, I, I, I thought I found that dynamic interesting at times. But yeah, I I made the call and said I think I can have more impact um, back in government, and so I was very lucky. This this recent job's come up um, with the office of regional youth and as a as a community coordinator, and some would say, oh, you know, youth's a bit of a weird thing, but in a lot of ways, I don't I don't think it's too different to what I was doing with. In the with the rural resilience program and, and the DPI, it's uh, yeah, it's still working in communities and it's it's helping them uh, look at challenges that they're facing and, and what opportunities are out there and seeing how we can help them fix it up. So uh, yeah, there's a fair few par- parallels. Farmers Business Network are dedicated to supporting Aussie farming families. With the new cropping year just around the corner. Farmers Business Network are offering 0% finance for approved applicants with no payments needed until January 2023, helping you have the key crop protection, adjuvants and crop nutrition inputs you depend on. Apply now for interest-free input financing and ask about the 0% club. Visit fbn.com slash our promos. This offer is subject to approved credit purchases only. Terms and conditions do apply and the offer ends on the 31st of March 2022. You can find out more via the link in our show notes. I want to ask on that. Do you, do you feel like some of the, I'd say that unenjoyment, is that even a word? Unenjoyable <laughs> aspects of the banking. Unenjoyment is definitely not a word. The unenjoyable aspects of the bank. Earlier you said that, um, you were kind of in the last 12 months, you'd kind of finalized the decision that no, you're not going home. Were all these things happening in the background and at play? Uh, like it sounds like the last 12 months have been a pretty big kind of, yeah, decision-making process, life changes, but making kind of some life long decisions as well off the back of that. You've picked up really well on that. Um, yeah. So I, got, I recently got married in, in April this year and uh, April last year now. And, I've oh, we got a bubble on the way in June, so um, yeah, I, I really wanted to be, and having made the, the call about you know family succession and and where I'm going to be, um, thought well I need to need to be in an area which I enjoy, but also where I can see myself you know moving forward, and and that was yeah it was really really big for me. So yeah, there was there was those it wasn't a huge weight on the shoulders or anything, but that it was always in the back of my mind as I was making those decisions what we're going to do. And I think as a as a kid that doesn't that chooses not to go home, there's a you're sort of backing yourself to make it in a lot of ways outside in the in the in the, the big wide world. And so, you know, there's that pressure of there's no longer this asset behind you that you can rely on for, for growth. Um, there's you can't you know you, you're you're very much on your own. What you wage you get and what what you bring in at the end of the day is is what's there for your family in in, in years to come. So, yeah, it's a, it's a different if it's, it's it's a different way of thinking. It's probably something that I've, I've still got to come to terms to it on you know how how it's 
different living in town and, and, and taking on a wage than it is living on a property, I would say. Um, but, yeah, but that's life. We're working through it. Absolutely. It's, a, it's an interesting take on succession. Like, do you, yeah, do you, do you look at the farm differently now? No, no, I don't. Um, I, I would say there's... It, I, I always felt like this. So I've got a little brother, and my little brother is an amazingly hard worker, really, really, and he's a, he's a good farmer. He just he gets it, um, and he can talk tractors, diesel, uh, yeah, sheep, cattle to the cows come home, literally. And um, I we we've got now one living space there, and it very much from a from a uh, economic perspective, it is a living space. It it, it can it can look after mum and dad. And, and, and it can sustain the little brother and, and his partner as well. But if, if, if I was to come home with my wife, there'd be more pressure on me, no doubt, and that's just a, a, another pressure in place. And I really would like to see it be successful. So uh, I'd rather sit sit on the sidelines and know that I've played my part doing that um, and knowing that, you know, back myself to do other things and, and see the place go well. And, I, yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll, always be, I'll always feel pretty strongly a part of it because, I don't know, they call me about three times a week asking me what we should do here and what we should do there with finance or law questions or, or something from the, yeah, from the DPI. But I don't know. It's, um, it's something you never get rid of, but it, it, it's quite liberating to make a call for everyone, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I reckon that just the contentment that you've got on that decision, you kind of, yeah, not dwelling on the what ifs, you're just getting on with it. It's bloody impressive. Thank you. Yeah, and motivating. I'm sort of going, you know, yeah, geez, James, you're on your own now. You've got to get into it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. No, it's all on your shoulders now. And that uh, that little son or daughter will be looking up at you as well and be like, oh, that wouldn't have minded being a farm kid. But no. Good pressure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, they'll, they get the, the good side of it. They can go out and enjoy the holidays and whatever else is part of it, but not have to. Absolutely. You know, I think that's pretty important. Um, I always say you, you can still do all that still be a part of that and, and keep going out there. Um, that, that's why I play my footy out there and, and, and be part of the family and do family stuff on, on the farm. Um, but, yeah, I do joke with my wife that we're going to get a sort of, we're hoping one day, five-year plan, that we have the hobby block on the edge of Dubbo and we'll call it the station and, yeah, I'll, I'll run my 20,000. <laughs> we're big for what happened and, yeah, looking hopefully. Then you've made it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the dream. It's the Dubbo. Tell me more about this. So working with with regional youth, is it, it's not just farm kids, it's kind of all kinds of challenges. Are you dealing with, yeah, things like, I guess, youth crime off the back of this, mental health, et cetera. What is kind of, yeah, yeah surrounding this? Pretty all-encompassing, um, as, as you picked up. It's, uh, which is, I, I think it's kind of nice. Rural communities, there was something I found when I worked with the DPI was we were working primary producers all the time and it, it, that was our, our prerogative was to be with, with primary producers and sort of during the drought everyone in a, in a rural or a regional town suffers because you know, bit, farmers don't spend the money in town, people don't get employed as much, um, there's not as much business and so so the town suffers just as much as, as the farms do and it was a little bit hard at times because we'd say you know there's support here for these farmers but there's not support for people in towns and so it's nice to go into, into a group now where it's all-encompassing, looking at, at rural and regional youth as a whole. Um, and so we're, we're talking uh, Aboriginal children, we're talking uh, farmers' children, we're talking uh, 
the, the, the family that, that came there to work in the mines. And so it's, it's, it gives you that bit more of a balance of being able to, to, to hit all the points all at once. And they're all pretty interrelated anyway. So I don't know, I've, I've, I've been, my boss has said, you, you're more than welcome to go and work on succession but, and, and farm succession. But at the same time, I want you to go and talk to the, um, the land councils and talk about you know, crime and, and what's going on in the towns um, at, at those levels as well. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think it's exciting. I've got a lot to learn. You know, I, I think I'm, I'm fully aware that I'm pretty much only, I'm, I'm serving people who are 12 to 24 and I'm, I'm only 30 myself without kids. So, yeah, I'm, I, I think coming from a community perspective, perspective rather than an experience perspective. But, yeah, we'll see how we go. We'll give it a, we'll give it a red hot crack. And I don't know. Again, it's it's relaying back what what we see out there when you when you're talking to people in the community and who who know what's going on. It's nice to find those people who who give you who give you a really strong good opinion and you you can trust it. You know, and once you find those people, you hold on them and go, yeah, I can I can take that with me and, and go past that story on. And and people like ministers. You know, they'll come out and they'll they'll ask you what's going on. They love that sort of stuff. If, if you can if you can give them uh, those types real, of real examples, the case studies. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. What um what do you reckon for for those kids that you see that are coming out into the regions from whether it's a city, yeah, I, I guess yeah, more metro area that then come out for the first time. What what do you reckon? Yeah, the the opportunities or where do what do they? eyes open and of this kind of new world that they see yeah so first things first house prices you know everyone yeah. house prices in sydney melbourne everywhere else you you can get a house out here and, and it, it's it's not going to cost you a million bucks to do so so um yeah straight up easy box tick um get a house before you're 30 and yeah you can you can be already in the market growing before um before your mates get in 15 years later down in the city. So that's a that's a, that's a tick for me. Uh, the next one's, yeah, you driving to work. I'm, I'm two minutes from work um, <laughs> at the moment, and that's a, that's a whole different ball game. But that's, yeah, it, we're not sitting in traffic wasting an hour of our day, um, the economic cost of that. it's it, you, You're there with family. You're there um, spending time with your mates. And, uh, yeah, I, I think... You know, you're not wasting anything when that's the case. And then, I my part is that tribalism and that uh, that that local aspect of somewhere like the footy. Um, you just you're feeling like you know everyone. Everyone wants you to be there because uh, in most cases with sport, you know, we had a we had a, a we we won the minor premiership. We got cut off before finals this year, which is a little bit upsetting because of COVID. Because you would have won. Uh, very very upsetting. We. We we're still grasping for 15 players the whole year sort of thing, you know. So you're, you're still playing with 14, 13, 14, or, you know, if you're that final player, you're just you're, you're running on in your, in your blundstones rather than your footy boots. Like, <laughs> we're grasping so, so everyone wants you to be, and that's, uh, yeah, it's a nice, it's a really nice aspect of that. You know, you, you, you're pretty welcome. Yeah, awesome. Now, so you, you are one of the National Rural Ambassadors as part of the national program through Ag Shows Australia and people kind of coming from all over. You actually came into the whole show world later, I guess, in life. But in terms of, um, yeah, can, can I ask the involvement in the shows, what what has it opened your eyes to? 
Yes, I had no idea about how how big a role the shows played. I would say before before two thousand and nineteen and, and getting involved. Um, it really, you know, I was one of those kids that you every year you go to the show, you get the we'd get you and then you get a, a public holiday, um, just town-wide public holiday. Show day, fantastic, unreal, and 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 that was that was it. You know, I'd see you'd see the rides, you'd see the um, yeah. The Showman's Guild people all, all running their, their sideshow alleys and didn't think of it too much more than that. Um, and it, it wasn't until, you know, after my teenage years until, until recently when I, when I was lucky enough that they, they brought me in and, and got me involved that, uh, yeah, I, all of a sudden that just opened my eyes up to the community that's there, the organisation that's there, the, the volunteers. Um, and the beauty of, you know, the whole of the town getting put something on show and, and display it and, and and show what they've got and, and participate. Uh, yeah, there's I don't think there's a, there's a better event in most towns than, than the show to do that. So it 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 was very honest. And were you reluctant to get involved? Was there something holding you back from yeah, kind of jumping into this? Well, I guess the the professional development side of the shows as well was yeah, the reason you came into that no, later no. in life, but. <laughs> I would say, um, so I'm, I'm from a, a very much a, 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 and silly of us really, a, a family of volunteers and, and, and sort of club people and, and working in organisations all the time. And sometimes I'd say we spend too much time on that and not enough time actually doing work. And I'm, I'm sure my little brother attests to that when uh, they're standing in the sheep yard and dad's on the phone talking about organising race meetings. But we, it was literally the reason that I wasn't in, the, in sort of doing stuff with the show network was probably because we were doing stuff around um, race committees, picnic race committees and, and rugby clubs, I would say. Um, so, yeah, just a, a different world of volunteering, but it's very similar sort of aspects um, and, and pretty transferable. So, uh, yeah, it's committees and, and that world. It's, it's not new to me, but this the, these committees that, 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 that I'm now part of, it's, it, yeah, there's a whole other group out there doing the same thing with the, with the same sort of ideas. So, that's nice. And you're pretty excited now to be, now that you've seen the light of what they can offer to be more involved in it and, um, yeah, ring announcing and whatever other opportunities come up as part of it? Yeah. I, look, COVID, um, of all things, probably for my show experience hasn't been fantastic. Being 2019, I sort of really uh, got into it off, off, off the back of the, the Sydney show there. Um, and then all of a sudden COVID hit but at one stage, the RAS, they called me up and said, oh, would you like to go to England? You can, we're going to send you over to Norfolk and um, the show, two-day show over there. We'll pay all your flights, we'll pay your accommodation. Um, yeah, go for it. We'll send you in a, a, another achievement from here before across it. Like, and opportunities like that, yes, I, I couldn't believe it. I was sort of asking again, I was like, you, you, you know, are you sure you called the right person? Uh, <laughs> they, sent us, they sent a big group of us down to Adelaide, the Adelaide show, and, and – yeah, we had a fantastic time down there. Um, there was a yeah, at a, at a few of the local establishments down that way. Um, yeah, and the same year we were supposed to go to New Zealand. Um, so uh, for for the national championships, and they were going to again pay for a lot of the expenses for that. And I, I I was just a bit mind blown. I was thinking, you know, thank goodness I've saved up three years worth of flex time in the government because I'm going to need every little bit of this to. To get to do it all and My uh, worldly travels, yeah, 
and unfortunately, it all did fall on its face a little bit with, with COVID. But uh, yeah, it's it if, to see it was all there and, and see how supportive they were and how generous they were. Um, yeah, I know a bit to the show network just for that alone. So yeah, um, I don't know. It's it, it's got me involved. There's a there's a bit of a theory sometimes around rural achievers and how they award the rural achiever um, prize. And they say, you know, should they give it to someone who's within the show network or should they give it to someone from outside? And there's a bit of tussling there because, you know, should, people who, who are in the show network should be rewarded for the work that they do. Um, on the on the other side, the flip side of the coin is it, it um, bring people in new really does, you know, brings people into the team, into the family. I've felt like I've, I've become part of the part of the group. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like I own something and I, I want to be involved. So, um yeah, it, it, I, I, time will only tell, I suppose, and, and more shows once once uh, COVID finishes up on on how I do. But at the moment, yeah, my my little foray into ring announcings where where I think I have found my uh, my niche, and I, I'd like to do more of it. I, I find it fun, so we'll see how we go. Unreal. Oh, well, hopefully, with everything else that's happening for you this year, you you'll be able to get over there and. Or yeah, do a bit of travel, maybe not quite to Europe, but we'll we'll, we'll, we'll do the we'll do the Royal Easter, and we'll we'll definitely do Ningen and Dubbo. So that'll that'll yeah that'll get me started. <laughs> now, mate, I've got a question there to ask everyone that comes on the podcast, and it's a big one. No, it just around if you had the chance to go back to high school, and I think what's really interesting about kind of your story and your journey, you've yeah kind of I, I guess built up expectations for different types of careers and different opportunities, and you haven't been afraid afraid to actually yeah make decisions that are in your own best best interests but what would if you went back to your high school and you had the chance to talk to the year 10 students what would be your advice to them around a yeah, career in agriculture what that could provide to them yeah, what that could provide to them great question tough one. um <laughs> I, would, I would think quite you know uh high school student primary school student i would say um yeah, didn't take too many risks and, and you know, just sat in the background and was mates with everyone. But, yeah, you know, wasn't, wasn't loud and vivacious and, and didn't do too much of that sort of stuff. Um, and I think it wasn't until sort of until recently, maybe just after I got out of university, um, something just sort of clicked for me. I said, you know, if I hit stuff and I hit it confidently and just come in all guns blazing, uh, yeah, people people seem to find that pretty infectious and, and they like it and, they you know, people seem to buy into it. And I don't, I don't know, ever since, I, you know, if I do something, I try to do it with a, with a fair bit of con- confidence and gusto and have a bit of fun at the same time. And it's worked. So my big bit of advice was, you know, is, is for, for anyone starting out is just have a crack, take take a bit of a leap of faith and, yeah, and, and run with it. And it sounds, there's a bit of a negative connotation to this sometimes, but take it till you make it. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, people... People want to see more, and, and they, they, even if you're starting out uh, in the ag sector, especially, and, and probably taking it back to why the ag sector is, you can be sort of in Sydney, you can be a, a small fish in a, in a big pond in the, in the corporate world down there, um, in and or in any yeah in any sphere outside of ag. Ag's a bit of a smaller pond, and everyone knows everyone. So if you put a bit of time in and you, and you get a bit of experience up, and you and you make those contacts, all of a sudden. Yeah, the world's your oyster. And it, for that reason alone, I, I think it's an exciting industry to be. Absolutely. No, I reckon very sound advice there. 
you know the one thing we didn't actually cover which i feel like we just have to as part of this is the story of how you met richie benno oh yeah it's essential to any <laughs> meeting <laughs> no richie benno yeah so um australia day oh, would have been five or so years ago i'd say now and well i'll take you back before australia day there was this campaign and it was um you never lamb alone and i don't know if the listeners can remember that but Sam Kekovic was on there with uh, Richie Benno. Richie Benno was, um, he was getting pretty early and I'd say, you know, it was his, his one of his last years of life, um, which is which is very unfortunate. We lost a, a legend there. But um, he did this campaign that had Captain Cook in it, had Ned Kelly. And, uh, yeah, they, they had it. He, he invited all these Australian legends to this barbecue in the ad. Anyway, there was a, a prize that went, that, that they had going about on, on Facebook that, they said, if you do your best Richie Benno impersonation um, and do it with a colourful video, you may have the opportunity to, to win a barbecue with, with the Richie Benno himself. And it was, you know, just as the uh, Richie Benno's the cricket were really starting to take off and he was he was really popular. So um, we had a wet day at home. I was working in England at the time on the property and we, yeah, we couldn't we couldn't get out and do any work. So we, we borrowed the next door neighbour's mauve coat and we... Yeah, I put a bit of uh, talcum powder in the hair and really dressed ourselves up as the best, best Richie Benno that we could, made ourselves a little fake Channel 9 microphone and, uh, yeah, cooked a lamb chop. We took it up to the sheep yards and, yeah, with a pair of tongs and stood amongst the lambs that we had in there that we were supposed to be shearing that day and I did my best Richie Benno impersonation, which was which was horrible. I had to say, top lamb chop, that. And I still, like, can't. Is that your best impersonation there or are you going to give it a real crack? I'll give it a real crack. And it, I, no, I, yeah. Oh, give me two seconds. I've got to get myself in, in action. Top lamb chop. No, I'm going English. I'll tell you, I've lost it since five years ago. Anyway, <laughs> I think for, you know, being in the sheep yard probably got me over the line and having an actual lamb chop in the hand. Um, and so, yeah, we got to go down to Sydney and, and we, got, we we won this, this barbecue with him and, I don't know. I've never seen a, a rented crowd for an event like this before, but they had these bikini girls that were there that were literally just there to talk to us, um, and that was that was quite unusual at this barbecue. Tim Gilbert, the uh, the footy presenter that from Nine Wide World Sports, was there. Yeah, we spent most of our day sort of talking to him about Ningen and pig shooting, which he's he's an avid fan of. But um, yeah, we we met Richie, got got the photo, and uh, yeah, he was. He was a little bit frail at the time, but he just had this air about him that was just unbelievable. Um, and everything he said, you'd, you know, you'd, you'd hang on every note. It was like you were meeting the Queen. So, uh, yeah, really, really cool day. And, uh, yeah, the family came down with me. We had a great time. How good. Well, mate, thank you so much for jumping on and chatting with us. As always, we'd absolutely love to know what your takeaways were from that episode. I loved how candidly and honestly James spoke about what it was like to go through succession, being really honest with his family over the last 12 to 18 months, making that decision that isn't where he's going to see himself full time and how he's pretty happy for his other siblings to take on that responsibility and that role, but he still definitely wants to be a part of it and along for the journey. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to share it with your friends, tag us in social media. In fact, we would love to see where you're listening to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. Look after yourselves, stay safe, stay sane, 
We can't wait to join you again next week.